Okay, so I'm here to talk about my mission trip with CIY Engage to Northern Ireland <coughs> um, to help with VBS camps that I were run by an organization called Salt Factory Sports. Um, <coughs> I've thought like long and hard about what I could or should say about this trip because I didn't have a clue. Like, there's just so much that I could say. Um, but for starters, mission trips are really awesome, uh, they, but they aren't necessarily what you'd expect. Um, it was a blast, and I had the best time ever, and I met so, so many amazing people. However, it wasn't the kind of thing that you leave and see immediate results of what you've done and accomplished. It's real and honest, and as you live it, it's still hard to see, and things don't automatically change because it's a mission to trip. Um, the change in them isn't any more obvious um, on the mission trip than, like, anywhere else. Like, if you're working on youth group or stuff, like, it's just like that. Um, it's a starting point and a progression, and I saw many great things while I was there, but I truly believe that the best is yet to come. And so with that, my team ran two different VBS camps every day for the week we were there, a morning camp at a local school and a night camp at a nearby church um, that's dying. Um, we had the opportunity to spend a great amount of time with these kids and just show them God's love and have so much fun together. Um, these camps were more designed to get kids in and engaged in the midst of God-loving leaders than to just focus directly on, like, a Bible story and a memory verse. Yes, we obviously had that factor, uh, but it was in a very relaxed and fun environment, and even, like, kids from my team even gave the morning lesson sometimes. Um, and I think that worked out really well and got kids really excited for what each day had to come and what they could learn. Um, in Northern Ireland, with the violent past they've had between the Catholics and Protestants, religion is kind of a sore spot, and it's rather hard to get through to certain people, depending on their previous experiences. Um, however, by the time the camps were over, I think we truly did open up some of the kids' eyes to what God has in store for them and what he's truly capable of. Our main theme throughout the week of camps was, no matter how big or little or young or old you are, God can and will use you. Um, by gently pushing the idea that God is great and he wants to use them, we encouraged these kids and taught them things they've never even heard of before. I honestly don't know how to explain the problems that cause the divide between the two sides, and there are physically two sides, um, but the issues cut deep enough in these people that a huge majority have just completely turned from God and now pronounce themselves atheists. Um, so the huge underlying problem here is Northern Ireland is raising a generation of kids under atheist parents um, with not a lot of signs of God. Um, but providing camps and events like Salt Factory does, these kids are thrown into such a positive atmosphere, and when they see that that is good, it gives them room to see that God is good also. Um, these kids will obviously need a lot more prompting and encouragement as they get older, but for now, the energy and enthusiasm that they came in with every single day was unreal. <laughs> uh, we were known as the crazy Americans, and so <laughs> we just went wild with them every day. Um, it was very, very obvious that God was present, he was moving, and that he has great things in store for them. It was such a wonderful experience to be a part of, to see the pure joy on these kids' faces as they played these games with the crazy Americans, um, or answer questions correctly about the story of the day during what we called team time. Um, the sheer joy is something that I hope I never forget. Um, so now I have three stories that I'd like to share. Um, so one is about a kid named Reese, and Reese wasn't in my group, because um, we had three groups, the mini golfers, um, crazy cricketers, which was my team, and then super surfers. And so he was a super surfer, which was the oldest group. Um, so anyway, he wasn't in my group, but I heard a lot of interesting stories about him. His 
Um, so this kid came in just barely participating in actions and singing and not being very nice to his group leaders. Like, <laughs> I had some funny stories that I was like, like, that's bad, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but anytime they'd get to the Bible story part, he'd be the first one to answer, and, like, he always knew the answers as if he paid really close attention to the lesson. Um, and then when his leaders went to him and asked him, like, do you have any prayer requests? Because we had a prayer board every day. Um, or do you have anything that you want us to pray for you about? Um, and he was like, no, I don't pray. And so they're all like, what? Like, why not? Like, I don't know. And um, he's just like, I don't believe in God. And so every night our CIY team would have debrief time. And when his leaders got back and they were talking to us, they're like, it's so, like, it's sad and it's so strange because, like I said, like, he always knows the answers. He's, like, paying attention. He's involved in that situation. But, like, like, and he's coming, but he doesn't believe. And so, it, I don't know. They were just always kind of in shock, like, what's happening? Um, but throughout the week, this kept seeming to be the case. He didn't really want to be there. He wasn't very nice to his leaders, but he always knew the answer to the lessons. Again, he wouldn't pray. Um, but then on the very last day, um, when we opened the floor up for anyone to pray before we get, got the day started, he quickly raised his hand, and, like, the people, the kids on my team that were playing MC all week, um, they picked him. And so us leaders are looking around like, oh, what's going to happen here? Like, this could be interesting. Um, but when he got up there, he just thanked God that the Americans could come and play with them and that, um, that the Americans would be safe. Um, and <laughs> he said like three or four times, like, God, I just pray that you, you'll keep the Americans safe, that they'll have a safe flight, and that they'll just be safe. Amen. And we always thought that, that was mo- um, the most exciting thing, and it was just a very obvious sign of God working on his heart. So I thought that was a pretty cool and, like, interesting story. And then my story number two is about Lewis. And Lewis was in my group, and he is just, he's rambunctious, but he's, like, really sweet. And if you just knew Lewis, he's just so funny. But anyway, he was really fun and hilarious, and he would, but he would also, like, be able to listen to the story and be very excited to answer the questions. And we had a memory verse, and he would try really hard every day to, like, remember the verse and the actions. Um, Because we took American candy which they just call sweets, and so, like, anytime they did something, we'd be like, candy for everyone, and they'd just go crazy because they don't have our kind of candy. Um, but, so here's the thing about Lewis. Like, Lewis came to our morning camp, but one day he must have heard that we do a night camp as well, um, and so, like, halfway through the week or so, like, I want to say, like, maybe Tuesday night, um, he showed up at our night camp as well, <laughs> and we thought that was the funniest thing ever, and... <laughs> Because, like, we do the same thing at both camps. It's just the night one's a little bit shorter, and we just, like, cut out the craft and don't play games as long. Um, but he still showed up to both camps without a doubt every night throughout the rest of the week. Um, and he was just, like, super hyper and ready to go. Um, and so, like, the first night he showed up, we are like, oh, my goodness, Lewis, like, what are you doing here? Like, how, how did you get your mom to bring you over here? And <laughs> he just, like, looked at us. He's like, I fake cried until she sp- agreed to bring me. And we're like, Okay. <laughs> whatever works um and again just knowing him like that was the funniest thing ever um and that's just one of my favorite memories from the trip and how excited he was to be at yet another camp and how utterly excited we all were to have him at both camps it was just a great way for us to see that we were making an impact on these kids lives and that they were genuinely having an amazing time um and also just how enthusiastic they all were to be able to come hang out with us and worship god and learn more and more about him it was pretty cool and then my final story is about an incredibly shy kid named Alan. Um, Alan was also in my group, and he came to the night camp at the church. Um, Alan was probably, like, my favorite kid from the week, just because he's the one that I, like, spent the most time with and got to know the best. Um, 
And so, like, right off the bat, I noticed Alan and how he obviously wanted to participate in, like, the actions and stuff. But, like, it just didn't feel right because he's, like, so shy. And so he's, like, you could, you could just tell that, like, he wanted to, but it was, like, um, uh, but I could also just, like, tell how sweet he is and, like, that he's like, really genuine and excited to be there, but also not, like, doing everything. Like, some of the kids were going, like, full force all week. But, um, so that first night, my team was playing castle ball, which is basically just a form of dodgeball where, like, hula hoops are set up um, to make a castle, and you try to hit the other team's castle over before they get yours over. Um, and Allison's not the most athletic, <laughs> but he was obviously trying, having a really good time. And since I wasn't supposed to be playing, like, hardcore, I would just, like, grab the balls that they came to me, and I would throw them to, kid, to him and kids on my team so they could throw, the, throw it back to the, at the other team's castle. Um, and often I'd get them, and I'd throw them to him. And so all of us teenagers were just so enthusiastic and cheering for everyone. And, uh, like, whenever you'd, like, be hyping him up, you could, like, tell that he was, like, really excited but, like, trying to, like, tone it down because he's just, like, shy like that. Um, just a second. Oh. Okay, so then, but then, like, after we got done playing that game, uh, we were having, like, a snack break, and I realized that Alan was kind of sitting alone um, with his back to the other two groups that were, like, gathered. Um, and since I'd already recognized him as someone I wanted to, like, invest in, I went over to him, and I tried talking, like, making small talk, which with his shyness wasn't going super well, and so I was just like, hey, having a good time, and he was, like, not really given to me, and I just kept pushing, and eventually I, I asked something along the lines, like, what's your favorite sport? And he was like, I, like, he didn't really have one. Like, he doesn't really do sports. Um, but I was just like, like, come on, like, any game in the world, like, anything you do, like, what do you love, like, anything. And he looked up, and, like, he could tell. He just kind of, like, looked. He's like, I do karate. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's the coolest thing ever. And, like, I just started, like, going crazy. I'm like, so you're, like, a ninja. And he's like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff there that you could just tell that people don't, like, like, by his reaction, you could tell that people don't, like, usually ask him about that kind of thing and get, like, genuinely excited about his response. I mean, it just made me happy that I could do that for him because, like, that's honestly the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And I was like, can you please show me your moves and teach me stuff? He didn't want to, but <laughs> I tried. <laughs> um, and from there on, I made sure to talk to him every day, like, hype him up when we played games and just invest uh, the time in him to encourage him and show him God's love. And another cool thing about Alan is all week we were doing a point system, um, and you get points for doing certain things. And one of the things was, like, bring a, bring a friend, you get points. Um, so we were, like, encouraging everyone to bring friends. But so one time I was, like, talking with him, and I was like, hey, you should really bring a friend. Like, this is really fun. You should ask someone. And he, he just kind of really quietly was like, like, I don't have any friends. And I was like, oh, like, that made me really sad. Um, but I was like, oh, cousins or anyone. Like, just, you can bring anyone. Like, just think about it. Um, and the next day, he showed up with a friend. Um, and I don't know, but that kind of moved me, and it made me feel... It just made me really happy. Um, her name was Skyla, and so, like, all week she hung out with me because we almost have the same name. <laughs> she thought that was so cool. And like at the end of the week, she's like, you are my favorite American. I was like, thanks. <laughs> um, sorry, I lost my place. 
Oh, so anyway, so we hung out quite a bit throughout the rest of the week, and I just I really like being peppy and encouraging her as well. Um, but anyway, I was just really proud of him for finding someone and bringing her and giving her the opportunity to experience such a good thing that she wouldn't have heard of or like come to without him. Um, but Friday night we didn't do like a typical VBS schedule night. We did like a family night which is just um, like where people from my team, we all ran games, and then the families like went up against each other um, like to win the games, and like they got like American sweets and stuff for like winning. Um, and it was basically just an attempt to get the parents in the church as well as their kids, um, and again, and show them that it is in fact a good place. Um, Everyone had a really great time that night, but something I realized was that um, Skyla's entire entire family came, and they appeared to be having a super good time, which leads to not only did Alan inviting her help her, but it got her family as a whole to come. So it's like just hitting more than that one person. Um, And before Friday night, we were like, me and some other kids, we were like trying to convince Alan to bring his mom to the family night. Um... And he had an array of excuses why she couldn't come. And we were always like, oh, we'll just ask. And, but then whenever it came time to get picked up, um, a girl from my team was like, hey, do you want me to um, go talk to your mom about it? And I'll invite her so you don't have to. And he got, like, really, really excited about that. and was like, yeah, please do or whatever. Um, and so when my teammate went to talk to her and th- about the family night, she did end up coming, and she played the games with Alan. Um, and at the end of the night, the minister at the church was telling Alan he was, like, pretty shocked about that because, A, Alan, like, he was shocked that, A, that Alan was able to come all week and, B, that his mom came to the family night because we didn't know this, but apparently the dad does, like, travel work, so he's gone a lot. Um, And Alan's mom is a Buddhist, so (laughs) we were all like, okay, that helps us understand a few things. Like, that didn't, we didn't have that connection yet. And so, like, once I found out that she was a Buddhist, a lot more about Alan made sense to me. Um, And another really interesting thing about Alan is during one of the team times uh, when we were... Sorry, I lost my spot. Like, we would... When we would... During the team time, when we would discuss, like, the lesson that we were taught, I was asking him if he goes to church. um, And he said he does. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, do you go with your family or anyone? And he's like, no, I go alone. And I was, and he, some of my friends go there, but I go alone. And again, that made me pretty sad, but also kind of blew me away because Alan's like, I don't know, seven or eight. Um, and he goes across town by himself to go to church. Um, and even though he's shy, he found someone to bring to the camps and just so on. So like time and time again, he shocked me in like amazing ways. And, um, and so I, just, I have one more little thing to say about Alan and then I'll be done. But um, one of the nights during team time when I was, he, Alan was sitting next to a leader from on my team, and her name was Kelsey, and she's a youth minister in Colorado. Um, and he just whispered to her, like, I have a Bible, or some, something like that. And she said, like, if she hadn't been paying attention, she wouldn't have even heard him. Like, he was, it was like a kind of thing where it's like, he wanted her to know, but didn't really want to tell her. Um, and anyway, so she, was, she did hear him, and she was like, really? Like, that's so awesome. Do you read it? And every, like, asking all those kinds of questions. Um... And she said that he said um, he does read it, and he read it that day to prepare for the night camp. <laughs> and it was just so sincere, and he was so proud of himself for that. Um, 
And again, that little story's made me really happy and excited for what God has in store for him because I know he has the capability, like all the capability in the world to listen and follow what God says. Um, even if he wasn't dealt the helping hand of a supporting family in that way, I can see God working through in, in, or in him and through him in so many ways already. Um, but these are just a few of my stories. Um, but anyway, I had an absolutely fantastic time, and I loved every second of working with those kids in the camp. Um, and I also just wanted to thank each of you that supported me through my fundraisers and prayed for me through this adventure, and I couldn't have done it without you. And I'm so blessed to have a church family like you. And now I have a video to play.
reader to come on up here because I'm all wrapped up in here <laughs> that's okay Now you're going to be shy. You want me to say it with you? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Good job. 
All right. We practiced a whole bunch, but uh, all your beautiful faces startled startled her. So, all right, kids, you are dismissed. Oh man. And uh, I'm like having some issues here with with my headset. <clears throat> well, thank you, Skylar, for uh, for braving yourself up here and and telling us about your trip. I greatly enjoyed when you came over and uh, and you talked to us about what you had going on. I had done uh, some research just about that trip, and it's a really cool story about how the people that are putting on that foundation actually got there. The wife of the married couple found out that she was a duchess of, uh, of Ireland, of Northern Ireland, this area that, that she's in, and they have a castle they live in, but he was a youth minister here stateside, the husband was, and when they find out that she is a duchess and that she had all these responsibilities that she needed to do, they moved to Ireland, and now he's doing ministry there under this duchess role. Is that not right? That's who they are, right? Oh, I'm a liar. <laughs> <clears throat> I, th- I was pretty sure that's what it was. There is a couple that did that. I'm a liar. Let me tell you about some trustworthy things. Jeez. I don't know what I'm talking about then. All right, so we're going to start a series. So while I'm speaking, I thought I would kind of take the opportunity um, to kind of get into a series here of trustworthy sayings. That was a terrible segue that, uh, that, I just, uh, that I just performed there. It is a really cool story of some random person in Ireland, um, and that is true, just not what Skylar did. So, um, so I apologize for that. What does this mean, this trustworthy saying? Like, if you think about trustworthy, and you think about people that you know that's trustworthy, you think about uh, situations you've been in that require trust, you know, you think about all these kind of different things. Yeah, I started going to, like, it's weird. But I started going to like thinking of the things of my own body, like different things that you know we think we trust in our own body. All right. So the first one that I thought of were my eyes. You know, it's like the first thing that everybody like. I always hear it from people. They're like, if I can see it, I'll believe it. But even in like that statement, it's like complete false because like I don't know. I randomly research things on, uh, on YouTube. If that's something that you do, then you can identify with my time-wasting skills that I have. Um, but I looked up color theory. If you've ever looked up color theory, Jared and I had this uh, random conversation. It was me just telling him about this one video I saw. Um, but they, like, they started talking about how like, even color theory is wrong and how like, we see color is, is different from how other people see color. And more specifically, like, what we've been taught as a school is wrong. And I, like, my whole mind is being blown by this one person, and I don't even know if I believe it all or what, what to believe within it. But she made the claim, this is just random information for you to have because I, like, I need to find value in my time wasting. So, um, but uh, the three that she claimed, three primary colors were cyan, magenta, and yellow, and, uh, rather than red, yellow, and blue. Because you can actually, like, I don't know, you can make... You can make blue from cyan and yellow. You can't make cyan out of anything. You can't make magenta out of anything. It, it, whatever. But we even see color different. You know, like what one person's orange is another person's brown, you know, or something. Like there's a whole thing on the internet about like what color was the dress, right? Like uh, if you guys remember, is it blue or is it gold? 
and you're like, I don't even know. Is that a dress? Like, I don't even know. Is that a romper? I don't know. Uh, here's some, uh, I thought, what better way to illustrate our eyes lying to us than optical illusions, okay? So here on the screen, I'm going to show you some optical illusions. So this first one, I went back to Casey to just kind of like, just see if she was ready to go. She's like, um, is this picture wrong? She's like, this looks weird. I was like, yeah, I know. It's supposed to. Like, does he have, does he have four feet, eight feet, no feet, no legs? I don't know. Our eyes are messing with us. Next one. What do you see? Do you see the old lady or do you see the young lady? Or do you see both interchangeably? Right? It's a really, it's an older style one. There's also, a, I don't have it up here, but there's also the one where the, it had like the chalice, the wine glass that has the two faces that look like they're getting ready to like have that Disney moment where they forever live with each other. But if you, um, if you can't see the older woman, this is her mouth. And then this is her eye. And then, and that's her nose. Okay. But if you see the young woman, then that's her nose. This is her chin. This is a necklace. And this is her ear. So it's the same, same picture. Sorry, Adam. All right. Uh, next, next one. Our eyes are messing with us. This is actually a still image. This is not a video, but if you stare at the middle, it's constantly moving. Like it messes with you. Next one. Yeah. These are all white dots. But depending on where you look, some are black. And they change constantly. If you try to look where the black dot was, it turns to white. And you try and look at where the white dot was, it turns, or you look away from where the white dots are, they turn to black. It's constantly messing with your eyes. So, so all that's to say, our eyes are also not trustworthy. It's really frustrating because like, we want to believe what our eyes see. We want to believe that our eyes are trustworthy. So the next thing I went to and thinking about like, what's some trustworthy things just in my own life, like things that I kind of like view or think about, like my heart. You know, it's something that always, people always say, like, follow your heart. What is it? The heart wants what the heart wants. And even like the Bible specifically says, like not just in your own personal experience with the, your heart just like deceiving you and, and leading you astray and, and leading you down the wrong thing. You know, the heart, not the pumping, you know, but the, the desires of your inner self. Jeremiah says it like this in, in chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, what can we trust? Like we can't trust our heart. We can't trust our eyes. There's times where like, if you touch something really, really cold, you think it's hot. Like, you touch something really, really hot, you think it's cold. Like, you can't even trust your own feelings. Sometimes you think you hear something, like, all the time. I think I hear somebody say my name, and I'm just like, yeah. No, no, it wasn't for me. Okay. Or I think I heard somebody say something, and I'm like, I laugh. And they're like, what is, I didn't say anything. And I'm just like, oh, that's not what you said. Like, we had this game in college. I had a buddy who had, like, terrible hearing. And it, he would just always say, like, what did you say? What was that? And then rather than us telling him what we said, we always asked him, well, what did you hear? Because that was always way more funny than what we actually said out loud. Because what he heard was, like, always just random gibberish. And we're just like, bro, that was nowhere even close. Like, what are you talking about? So trustworthy, trustworthy things, trustworthy attributes, trustworthy sayings. So what can we trust? Well, I think we have to kind of go outside of ourselves. You know, we've proven that our eyes, our heart, our, our touch, our hearing, 
you know, all these kind of different things, our smell, can lead us astray. So what about God? Can we trust God? Is God a trustworthy thing in this world? And Hebrews chapter 13, if we're using Bible to discredit our heart, saying that it's deceitful, and that's true, our heart is deceitful, it leads us astray quite often. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, uh, would tell us that he can be trusted. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or some of yours say tomorrow, or on and on. You know, all these kind of different ways to word that Jesus is able to be trusted because he never changes. And thank God for that. So if our own selves can't be trusted, but Jesus can be trusted, then the things that Paul says about Jesus, the one that can never change, has to be true. Paul writes these trustworthy sayings to his young disciple, Timothy, in a couple different books over a couple different time periods. And we're going to kind of take some time over the next um, few sermon option, or opportunities to be able to talk about these trustworthy sayings. So if you know who Paul is, most of you probably know who Paul is, but just to kind of explain who Paul is, Paul used to be called Saul, and Saul was going around all the countryside killing Christians. Yay, let's learn about him. Uh, and he's killing Christians because they are blaspheming against Jews, and Paul was the Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was going around telling people how to live, what to learn, and how to do it. And uh, he decided that he needed to go around and kill all these Christians. Well, then he has his experience on his road, on the road to Damascus where Jesus blinds him. He then becomes a Christian, calling Jesus Lord from the moment that he has that first interaction with Jesus. He, they go on and he ends up you know, being cured of his blindness and ends up becoming the 14th disciple. You know, they started with 12 and then there's some issue with one of them, Judas, and he is no longer a disciple. We'll just sum it up with that. He's no longer a disciple. They make a, a Matthias, 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 uh, the 13th apostle. And then uh, Paul has a personal interaction with Jesus, thus becoming the 14th apostle. So like I said, over the next few, few weeks, we're going to kind of talk about all these trustworthy sayings that Paul actually says to Timothy. So the first one that we are going to read through is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. So if you want to go ahead and turn there right away, it is going to be on the screens. If you have your phones, you can get your phones out and open up to the Bible. If you have your book Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me... Oh, sorry, I went to the wrong one. The saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. So Paul, here in just his wonderful way, first starts out by saying, hey, pay attention to this. Like, I don't know if you're just glazing over this whole letter, Timothy. Um, you know, I started out talking about a whole bunch of things, about greeting things like Paul, I do. I say a whole bunch of things that that need to be said at the beginning. And, oh, don't, don't forget about the false teachers. You're going to have false teachers. That's how Paul starts out this thing. But then he goes, okay, if you were glazing over, if you were taking a nap, if you weren't paying attention, if you're rereading this and you just want to get to this one important thing, I'm going to say it, trustworthy. This is a trustworthy saying. 
Paul just right away just says, pay attention. This is deserving of full acceptance. There's no wiggle room in this statement. There's no gray area to this statement. There's no uh, way around what he says. And so he says he came to save sinners. Jesus, the Son of God, was sent to this earth, like we read in John chapter 3, verse 16, sent to this earth for all of us, so that we would accept him, so that we would find salvation in him. Some 15 times in the gospel, Jesus declares that the Father, the God of, of our creation, sent him. He came on a divine mission. Men were perishing and, and were going to hell because of sin. And in the beginning, God warned that the consequences of sin was death. I have to tell you, I don't know if you've ever had those like aha moments in your Christian, like Christian walk, but before I was ever even Christian, I heard that statement that my sin is what's going to cause my death. And man, that just like blew my mind in that moment when all of a sudden I realized that the sin that I was, was perpetually doing before I had ever accepted Christ was causing my death. One, it like made me question everything, but then it started making me like kind of study like, why is that? What causes the death? And then man, it just, it opened up everything that, uh, that I was ever questioning. So maybe you hadn't ever realized that the sin that we have in this world, it causes death. Sin is deceitful. We talked about the heart can be deceitful. And that's a reason that our heart can be so deceitful is that our heart is so filled with sin sometimes. Sin is deceitful. Sin tells us that something is good feeling or something is, is deserving of us or, you know, we, we are owed this. You know, sin tells us these lies. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 speaks of this deceitfulness of sin. Look how many nowadays are being deceived by sin. So I'm going to give you an illustration of how sin can, uh, can deceive us, and it's, it's going to be from uh, the idea of canoeing. First off, all I want to say is I learned that uh, you paddle a canoe. I learned that uh, today in Sunday school class, so I'll be correcting. Uh, I won't be calling it oaring or uh, rowing. I rowing. Um, you paddle a canoe, I guess, is what Andy taught me. So, um, but uh, I, we, were, we were out canoeing, and uh, we, yesterday with the high school group, we, we do a canoe trip before we start up high school uh, youth group. And so we were canoeing the Spring River down in uh, Baxter Springs, Quapaw area of uh, whatever. Uh, and so we're, we're going along, and, and Casey and I, we always choose to kind of stay at the back, so that way we can help any of the students that are having trouble uh, figuring out, like, h- how to canoe, like, how to actually do it. Because it, if you've never thought about canoeing, you've just always canoed, you don't really realize that, you know, when you canoe on, when you, when you paddle on, on the right side, you go left, and if you paddle on the left, you go right, and, but if you do it backwards, it's the other, you know, it's the opposite. But then if the river is taking you the other way, it doesn't matter. Uh, because, so yesterday the river was just flowing. The river was moving as, like faster than we had, like, you know, we did it last year. And, the, you know, it was, we canoe like we paddled a lot. We paddled a lot to get to the end point. We, uh, it was a nine mile canoe trip. And just so you understand, it took us uh, like an hour and a half to do the whole thing. We got in at 10, we were out into the vans by 12.20, and that's with a 30-minute stop for lunch. So that just gives you an illustration of how quick the, the river was going. So we are hanging at the back. There's uh, four sets of canoes in front of us. And I was canoeing along, and I had this moment. 
know, thinking about the sermon, thinking about what God has been talking to me about, what I've been reading about. And all of a sudden, I had this moment where I just started to realize that canoeing is a lot like our life. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it or if you've ever thought about it, uh, but I was watching these girls canoe, and, um, and it, it's, the, it's the same for everybody. You know, when you're canoeing, you know, you kind of you stick to one side, you're paddling one side, and then all of a sudden you start going that way. And usually what you do is, you, you know, you flip to the other side and you start paddling. And then if it's really, like, if you're really going the wrong way, then you, like, you start really digging in. And then you even maybe shout to the person at the front, like, hey, with me, you know, like, left side or right side, you know, kind of, like, communicating up, up to the front, as long as the person in the front doesn't have a two-year-old baby. Um, <laughs> but we were watching these girls, and they were going. They were going to the left. And they just kept paddling on the right. They were going to the left, just kept paddling on the right. And they were just, like torpedoing right towards the bank. And I'm just like, left. Paddle on the left. Like trying to help, like, but it was too late. And I had this moment of realization that, that sin is a lot like that. Sin is a lot like that. When, we, when we're in the middle of sin, when we're in the midst of, of a sin process, a sin cycle, we start veering off towards the bank and we, we might not realize it, we might think that like, the way to correct it is by you know, digging in ourselves and, and trying to figure it out ourselves or continuing to, to row on the wrong side or just not rowing and hoping that eventually the river takes you the right way. But instead, uh, they ended up hitting the bank. They didn't, they didn't capsize or anything. You know? It wasn't anything traumatic. It was just, it was just enough for me to like, kind of like, process, like, man, that's life. So many times we're just running towards the bank and we don't even realize that we're canoeing right towards the bank and we don't realize what it will take for us to correct it. You know, we don't realize that we need to just flip to the other side or we need to paddle backwards or we need to correct what we're doing um, or we need to realize it well before it ever starts occurring. You know, because there was a moment where they probably could have realized that if we would have just corrected back when we were in the middle of the, the lake, or back in the middle of the river, then we wouldn't have ever ended up here. And so many times that's just like our life. You know, we get in the midst of sin and we're just running towards the, the bank. And if we would have just stopped at the first time that temptation came, and we would have just fell on our knees and cried out to God, who came to die for sinners, then maybe we wouldn't be hitting the bank. You know, Paul spoke of, of those who were, were past fleeing and have given themselves over to lavish living. What a horrible thing when a person gets to that place when they can uh, commit horrible acts of sin. You know, I think of, of David, the story of David. And, and it was a, such a simple, simple temptation that he was in the midst of. And he ends up falling into that temptation and, and sleeping with Bathsheba. And, and then calls in the husband, trying to cover it up, doesn't work, and then it just goes to the neck, he kills the husband, and the, like it's just this layer upon layer, and sometimes our life is just filled with those layers, and if we would have just stopped at the beginning, the thing is, sin is destructive. It not only destroys you, it destroys those around you. Romans fourteen seven says this little thing, no man lives unto himself, and that's both in a positive we need each other in community. But that's also in the negative. When we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, sin has an effect on all that are around you. 
So many times we think that we're the only person that sin affects. So, you know, this is my sin. This is my problem. This is my issue. But there's so many times where the sin affects different people in your life. Could your child be based, uh, could your child's life be based uh, off, you know, or child's life be completely changed based off of an illegal sin that maybe you're, you took part in and they are no longer in your life? Could your friends could your friends be involved if you have done something to put bad light on who they are? Or maybe that sin even puts a distance between you and your friends. Could your own self and the sin that you have affect your relationship with God? You know, it's not just people that are being affected by your sin. And scripture specifically tells us that God cannot be around sin. And so this sin that we choose to think that it's our own even separate us and distance us from God's holiness. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And thank God. Jesus had made that claim. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. The context of that verse is interesting. It was almost an apology. If it, you know, it's kind of that Sunday school story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is asking, uh, or is, is uh, asked him to come over for dinner. Jesus is going to go to dinner with Zacchaeus. All the people are like, oh my goodness, Jesus is eating with sinners. What, what is happening now? And Jesus looks to the crowd, and he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. He did not come to show us the light. He is the light. He did not come to show us the way. He is the way. He did not come to tell us the truth. He is the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul adds this little bit that just kind of proves that all of us are on the same evil playing field. He says, of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am the worst, of whom I am the chief. You know, whatever your translation says, Paul says, try me. I've been worse than you. I promise you that if I can be forgiven, if Christ came to die for me, so did you. So should you receive that. Speaking of his past life, Paul, like I said at the beginning, Paul said that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He, He injured people. He speaks of forcing people to blaspheme Jesus. And when he was giving his personal testimony to King Agrippa, Paul actually says this. So this is actually in uh, Acts chapter 26. It's going to be on the screen here for you. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 and 11. Paul says this to King Agrippa. Sorry. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death... I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and I was an enraging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, we understand now, as we kind of see back of what happened from Paul doing that, that actually spread the gospel. You know, it it talks about the great scattering that happened the, the Christians of the time were getting used to this area. They're kind of getting comfortable in being their own little bubble. And because of this um, scattering, the, the, word of the, go- you know, the word of gospel went to all these areas. Now, obviously, 
we would have not liked all the deaths, but God still used it for good. And that's the story that God constantly is always showing to us. So back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul has this, has this skill of just kind of laying out this really, really heavy stuff and then coming in on the backside and just making it, um, making it really personal. He says this in verse 16. But I received... But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as, a, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So maybe your life is, has, has that theme of, of sin and mess ups and, and shortcomings, and, and God is just calling out to you to come back and to, to you know, see see the father and, and run home like the uh, prodigal son. And the whole time he's just saying, it's going to be like, I, I can use what happened to you. In saving Paul, Jesus showed just how long-suffering he is to the sinner. The idea of being, if Jesus can save Paul, he can save anyone. Some of you, all of us, are guilty of sinning. There are a lot of things that you've sought to put out of your own mind. You hate, you hate the thought of them. You hate the idea that anybody would ever even know that that's your past. The thing is, is you can't erase them because they will always come back if it's your own power. The psalmist said, my sin is ever before me. The feelings of guilt can do strange things to people and they can create all kinds of bizarre behaviors Things that you think are rationalizing what you've done are just sometimes just crazy. But know this, Christ Jesus came into this world to die for sinners. He said that, and he did not come to call the righteous, but to call the unrighteous. He said, a person that was well did not need a physician. It's the sick that need a doctor. He came to save all of us. He came to save you. He came to save your neighbor. He came to save your, your sister, your brother, your whole family. He died to save all of us. The thing is, sin is a messy, messy thing. It's something that as fallen humans, we will never get away from. Paul specifically in, in other verses of scripture talks about how he has a thorn in his side, a constant um, battle that he deals with as a Christian, where he just struggles against the things that he wants or the things that he desires versus the things that God needs him to be doing. Does your sh- sin have a short, uh, a shortcoming of, of battles and moments, or is it a long-term falling point? The thing is, is Christ is there all the time. The Holy Spirit is dying for us to run back to him and for us to lean hard into his understanding. This trustworthy saying is something that we should find joy in, that we should find hope in, and that we should go and tell others about. That Christ came into this world to die for sinners, and you can even use the words that Paul says himself, of whom I am the worst. Let's pray. Father, I 
thank you for coming into this world. Like Paul writes to Timothy, I thank you for dying upon that cross while we were still sinners, giving your life completely for us. I thank you for being a father that continually hears us while we still mess up. I thank you for being a God that forgives and loves so deeply. Father, I pray as we go into the world that we take that joy, that we take that mercy, that we take that grace, and that we show others how great you are and how much love you ask you to remember this morning the story of the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus had told his disciples to go get a young colt, uh, the colt of a donkey that had never been ridden before, and uh, his time has come. Uh, He says at one point that if these people didn't sing his praises, the rocks would cry out. And so... um, this they go get this donkey and of course he he leads it uh and uh, or he is he rides it and they they put down coats in front of it and wave the palm branches so have that picture in your head tony evans tells a story from the picture from the viewpoint of the donkey and i liked it and i thought i'd share it with you uh, he says a donkey's life not very exciting and so this made quite an impression on him to walk on these coats and see the palm branches and everything and so he was just elated with the whole thing and so some time goes by and before long uh, life returns to the mundane, and he decides, you know, he's going to go back and, and revisit, have some of that excitement again in his life. So he does, but this time, no one recognizes him, no one notices him. A few people even brush him out of the way, and he comes back and he tells his mother all about it. You know, what's the deal? You know, I'm not very special today. His mom tells him, well, without Jesus, you're just a donkey. <laughs> and so I don't know about you, but I can relate to that, I think. But uh, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I got to thinking more about that. What is what would life be like without Jesus? What does that look like? And my mind went to you know, First John. It says God is love, and all love comes from God. So, what would your life be like without love? Um, you know, think about the greatest profession of love you've ever heard, down to the simplest act of kindness. If that didn't exist, what would it be like? We recently had a new grandbaby. We're just elated with him. Uh, he, I, you know, I'm waiting for him to interact. Uh, he, he, this morning, he smiled at me. Looked, made me feel like a million bucks. I read an article that said that when they're three months old, they start laughing. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but then this article, this guy said that the number one thing that makes a baby laugh is the game of peekaboo. And this is a survey taken all over the world. And uh, so that was interesting, but it, it got his interest as well because not only a new baby, like three-month-old, will laugh at that, but a two-year-old will laugh, and they know that you don't disappear when you put your hand up there. They figured that part out, but yet still they laugh. They think it's hilarious. And uh, he says his thought was it's a shared experience. Is that not some form of love? So even those little things that you take out, if you take that out of life, is there anything good left? I mean, why would you get up in the morning? So uh, without Jesus, what does that look like? We come around the table this morning to remember the very opposite, the other extreme of that. that and it also says in 1 John that this is how we know what love is, how Jesus laid down his life for us. And it goes on in 4, 7, and 8, very familiar verse that... Uh, Uh, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Uh, This is love, not that God loved us, but that he loved, that that we loved God rather, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that's what we come to remember, what love is. Let's bow. 
Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a time to, to remember uh, that, that all love comes from you and that uh, you gave us the greatest example of that and, and defined it for us and so that we know what it is and that if we say we love somebody, we're really saying a pretty awesome thing. Thank you, Lord, for loving us first. And, and uh, for these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.